You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. If you have a Bible, if you'd like to open up to Luke chapter 2, we'll be in verses 21 to 40 here in a moment. Um, if you have a, if you, if anyone doesn't have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands. If you just want to put your hand up, we can get one to you. And all, and for those using a phone, uh, we're in the ESV, but I would, I would just encourage you to, uh, bring a, bring a hardcover Bible to church. There's something actually quite different about reading after just these pages as opposed to your phone, because our phone, we answer email or text or watch videos or whatever it is. And it actually trains us to not remember what we're doing. We do it quickly. Where like a, a, just a, a, a book, you can, like it's in the left corner, it's in the right corner. We actually remember more reading that. But that's just, I'll throw that in every couple months. <laughs> but if you just have a phone, hey, it's all good. We're together, opening up God's word. Um, this, this sermon this morning is called, What Child Is This? It's a famous Christmas song. Uh, Christmas is done right? But we're still in Luke, and the story continues, right? Like, we've been going through Luke, and and when the shepherds return to their sheep, Mary and Joseph are still there with the baby Jesus. And Mary's left wondering, what, what child is this? All the things that have been told her. And even, it's kind of a, it's a question, like, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I remember uh, years ago when we were teaching English in South Korea, I talked to this one American guy from the southern states, and he kind of professed a little bit of faith, and he said, oh, on a Sunday morning, we all just worship a different Jesus. What, wh- whoever we think he should be, that's the one we're worshiping. Every single person is worshiping a different Jesus. Yeah, yeah, if you make it up, if you make them up. But that's why we go to the Bible, <laughs> So whatever our thoughts are about who Jesus is, we continue to go to Scripture to continue to hone in, to continue to like give great detail that, no, no, this isn't our opinion. This is who he is. To be worshiping the same Savior. Like that, that's, again, that's why, this is why the Gospel of Luke was written, that we would have certainty concerning the things that are taught. That we wouldn't be like, I don't know, I think Jesus is like this. Like, no, no, I know he's like this. And so as we're, we're going through the gospel of Luke, we should continue to get an ever clearer picture of who Jesus is, what his ministry was, why he did what he did. And then we're left with, will we believe? We say, yes, amen, I, I, I believe. And even just as we think about this picture that we're continuing to paint of Jesus, whether we've been a Christian for a few months or, or many years, we have to continue to make that picture clear and so even as we go through this morning if you think if there's like a like brush strokes on a painting like you're adding greater detail if you're writing notes of who Jesus is you're like oh yes this is significant this is talking about who he is this is defining who he is and if you're like well no I've, I've read this passage before again this is the living word of God And so does God have something to speak to you this morning through a a passage you know well, and I believe he does. 
So if you want to stand with me as we read uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verses 21, going to 40. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there is a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. May God bless his word to our souls here this morning. You can have a seat. And let, let me pray again, ask God's help. Oh Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your spirit. And oh Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak through me this morning. I, I pray you would anoint my words, give me courage, give me clarity. Lord, grab hold of my wandering thoughts and, and just may I be able to speak your word. Lord, I pray for everyone listening, give us open ears, open hearts, and, and may you do your work, Lord. May you draw people who do not know you, that they would have faith to believe for the first time. For, for many of us who do know you, Lord, may you, may you allow us to see Jesus Christ in a fresh way. May you give us fresh faith for today to live for you. Oh, Lord, continue to rouse us uh, from, from just being sleeping, from just going through motions of Christianity. Oh, Lord, that we would be real. We would walk with you, the living God, and be a light. And I pray, God, that this preaching of your word would, would help further that, your purposes in our lives and in this city, wherever you'd send us, Lord. So I pray this now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to see, going back to this passage, so 21 to 24, I want us to see the faithful parents that Jesus has. And, and 21, 
is kind of like this misplaced verse because it's not when at Jesus' birth and it's not in the temple. It kind of is its own thing. Verse 21, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so that happened eight days after Jesus' birth. The next part we're going to read happened 40 days after Jesus' birth. And so it's like, okay, it kind of gets forgotten within Christmas. Like it's not part of the, the story of Jesus' birth. It's not part of actually the next section. But what we see, though, is that Jesus was circumcised eight days after, as the law of Moses commanded. Jesus' parents were faithful. His parents uh, followed the commands of the law. And not only did they follow the commands of the law, they followed what Gabriel had said, and they called the name of the child Jesus. Right? Gabriel, when he visited Mary in Luke 1.31, said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So they were being obedient to the law of Moses, being obedient to Gabriel, the, the word that they were given, and they called him Jesus. And his parents were just seeking to be a faithful Jewish parents. And that's what they were doing. Uh, and, and then so the next section, the 22 to 24, it actually takes place, you'll see, 40 days later, or 40 days after Jesus' birth. And I just imagine, even as I've named this, what child is this, that if there's someone in the temple who's just paying attention, who just happens to be watching this, this family, mother and father, coming up with this baby, and starts taking in what is happening. And he starts asking this question, what child is this? So I just, I'm going to kind of keep pointing that out. It's not, not in scripture, but there were lots of many people within the temple. And so verses uh, 22 and on, now it takes place in Jerusalem. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, coming from Bethlehem, six miles away. And uh, there's a couple of things that we're going to see happening here. And I want us to see that. The first in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And, and we have to kind of know what, what's going on in the Old Testament to understand what's happening here. In the Old Testament, as the people came out of Egypt, uh, there was, if you know your, your story, there was 10 plagues. And the 10th one was uh, the Passover. And what happened, kind of the last kind of, thing to destroy Egypt was the firstborn of every child and every animal was killed. Unless the Jewish people took a lamb and killed the lamb and took the blood of the lamb and put it over their doorposts, then the angel of the Lord would pass over the doorposts. Right? We know that was the 10th plague and then Pharaoh's like, no, get out of here and leave. But in response to that, God says from now on, every firstborn Israelite or animal, is mine. And that's what was commanded them in Exodus 13, 9. In, in Numbers uh, 3, verses 12, this is all the law of Moses. We have kind of greater detail. It's not that God takes the firstborn of every child and just like, all right, they're going to follow me. But what happens, one of the tribes, the Levites, were set aside to be uh, priests to the Lord. And, and God says in Numbers 3, uh, 12 to 13, he gives uh, this command. Behold, I've taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites 
shall be mine. And so now the Levites are going to be in place of the firstborn. But what we also read within Scripture, in, in Moses' law, the first five books of the Bible, in Numbers uh, 18, chapter 18, verses 15 to 16, is that they had to give five shekels of silver to the temple. Like if you had a firstborn, you were to present the firstborn and give five shekels of silver. Saying, like, yeah, this, is, this child is dedicated to the Lord. The Levites going to be serving instead of this child, but you gave five shekels of silver. We don't have that in Luke's description. We just, like, we know God's law. We know they're obeying God's law. That's happening. It's a detail that Luke doesn't give us. But, so that, that is happening, but at the same time, what else is happening? So they're going out to present Jesus before the Lord because he's the firstborn, but then the next part is, doesn't have to do with Jesus. In verse 24, and to, they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This was for Mary. In, in Leviticus chapter 12, we find out that uh, as a woman gave birth, uh, she was unclean for a certain amount of time. As she gave birth to a male child, she was unclean for 40 days. And when her time of 40 days were up, she was to go to the temple. And she was actually to present a lamb as a burnt offering and then a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. That's what she was to do. But if she didn't have enough money, if the person was poor, then they pre present two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so that's what's interesting is actually Mary's going for her own purification because she was a sinner. That's what's so interesting within the Catholic Church who wanted to exonerate and lift up Mary. Mary, after the birth of Jesus, 40 days after, she's unclean. She needs to go to the temple and offer these sacrifices for her own purification. It's like we, we have somehow missed that. So she's going to offer cleansing for her, but then again, I want you to point out, if you didn't hear it already, her sacrifice showed that her and Joseph were not of very well means. They, they're poor. Sorry. They didn't have much money, right? Or else she would have offered the lamb and the other sacrifice. No, just, just two pigeons. I love MacArthur also pointed out in, in studying, he's like, so this kind of shows that the, the magi, the wise men, haven't visited. Or else they would have had more funds, more money, and they could have bought a better sacrifice. So again, just going back in this next year, when you set up your nativity scene, put those wise men very far away. <laughs> They don't come for like a couple of years. So interesting. So that's what was happening. They're presenting uh, Jesus before the Lord. They're paying five shekels of silver because he's the firstborn. And then Mary was offering a sacrifice to cleanse her. I also want you to, to notice if you didn't already, what was said three times in a row is they were doing this according to the law of Moses in verse 22. In, in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, in verse 24, as it is said in the law of the Lord, they were faithful to the law. They were faithful to what God has said they needed to do. And they did everything they could to be faithful to the Lord. They were faithful Jewish parents seeking to raise their child in the ways of God. And again, if someone's just sitting there uh, standing back, he just sees them come in. He doesn't know about the child, and he says, oh, what child is this? Well, those are just faithful Jewish parents. 
doing what they're supposed to do. But, but if he keeps listening, he's going to find out there's, there's more. There's more to this child. And I just, just kind of a message, just thinking of like Mary and Joseph, just faithful parents. For parents and grandparents here today, how are we seeking to be faithful to God? For our children, for those with grandchildren. And just, I was just thinking like a brainstorm, a quick list. How can we be faithful parents and grandparents to our children, to our grandchildren? One, we can pray for them. Just pray for them. Not only pray for them, you can pray with them. Gather together, you can read the Bible to them. How to explain it to them. You know, depending on their age, you, there's like, there's different uh, children, Bible stories, different, different Bibles, but you're just like, keep telling them about the love of Jesus Christ. You can take them to church with joy. That's it. If you're like a parent or grandparent, you're like, come on, let's go. You're like, I, I don't know, are we like, are we happy we're going there? Right, like this is an example that we can give to the next generation, faithful parents. I mean, I think these are two really big ones. We can model repentance. Because like as adults, like we're always screwing up and we're, we're always sinning. And do we ever acknowledge that to our, to our kids and our grandkids? Like, forgive me. But I'm going to ask God for forgiveness. I'm asking you for forgiveness. And I, and I think we can also model faithfulness by seeking God in hard times. Right? That you're not like, hey, when things get tough, we just double down and we just keep going. We're like, no, no, we seek God in prayer. Well, look at this example. That's a, such a strong example for the next generations to come. When things are like, man, I really don't know what to do, we, we pray. Let's stop and let's pray. And let's seek the Lord. Just a few thoughts. As Mary and Joseph we were faithful parents, how can we be faithful parents and grandparents? The next section of Scripture I want us to look at verses 25 to 38. I want us to see we had faithful parents. Now we have faithful witnesses. Again, someone's like, hey, who, what child is this? Oh, he's just a baby. It's like, can we get a witness? And, and the reason there's actually two, the reason there's a male and a female is because if you've uh, been with us for a time, maybe you know that uh, in Jewish law, you couldn't just have one witness. You need to have two. You couldn't just have someone say, yeah, this is what happened. You, in a court of law, something happened. You needed at least two to corrob corroborate and say, yes, this is true. That's actually what's happening. That's what Luke wants us to see. And we're like, we're still like, I don't know who this baby is. At this time in Jerusalem, there's two witnesses that come on the scene to tell us more specifically who this child is. So the first we have in 25 to 35, we have Simeon. I want us to see how he has his waiting fulfilled. We'll spend more time here on Simeon than Anna just because there's much more things written about what he said. I want you to see like three things though from the, wit the witnesses we look at. One, is there a witness that we can trust? Two, that they were waiting. Three, that they pointed to Jesus. Simeon, as he's introduced in verse 25, he's a, a witness. And I would say one we can trust. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Don't you love that? That's what was written about him. I'm, I'm always like, when I see those descriptions of people, I'm like, what would people say about me? What would people say about you? How would they describe you? 
For Simeon, he was righteous and he was devout. He was faithful to the Lord. He feared God and he, he sought to keep his commandments. I love one commentator points out, Luke does not cite Simeon's credentials. Like, we don't even know where he came from. We don't hear from him after, but rather his character and the Spirit's guidance of him. That's what it's about. And I also just want to point out, so, okay, he's righteous and devout, like he's trusted, he's reliable, he's also old. And we can infer that as we look at verse 29. He's like, once I see Jesus, I'll be able to go in peace. He's older in age. That actually lends to credibility. And he's a faithful witness. So we have this witness. I would say he's trusted. We can listen to him. A witness who is waiting. Right now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting. He was waiting for Israel's peace. He was anticipating the Messiah. Again, remember the time. They're at the temple, but outside the temple, there are Roman soldiers around. The Romans rule. They're under uh, foreign rule, and they're kind of praying, and they're looking. They're like, when will we be free? And so Simeon, as he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, he's like, when will we be able to just worship without these foreigners in our land? He's anticipating the Messiah. Notice as it's, it's said about Mary and Joseph, they fulfilled the law. Three times it's highlighted for Simeon. It's highlighted three times how he's led by the Spirit. In verse 25, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, I want to just show this, like all throughout Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, or maybe going before then, the Old Testament, where people were like sometimes had the Spirit of God for some specific things for times, and then the Spirit's gone. And then all of a sudden you get to Luke's gospel, and everyone kind of related to Jesus all of a sudden gets like full of the Spirit and starts praising him before he even comes. It's Luke's gospel. He highlights the role of the Spirit over and over again. But notice everyone who has the Spirit, they're like a magnet to Jesus. Right? So anyone who's like, yeah, I'm full of the Spirit and goes away from Jesus, you're like, I don't think you have the Holy Spirit. So Simeon, it says he is the Holy Spirit was upon him in 25. and 26, it says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Holy Spirit revealed this specific information. You will see the Messiah before you die. I love it. And in my bizarre type of humor, I'm like, why didn't he just walk around just with his, his head down, eyes closed, and he would never die? Sorry, it's, sorry, it's such a dumb... <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I love it more that barely I'm a laugh. It's, it makes me happy. But the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit showed him, somehow revealed to him, you're going to see the Messiah. So he's walking around, not only this waiting for the consolation of, of Israel, but in anticipation, one day I'm going to see it. One day I'm going to see it. And what does the next verse say in 27? And he came in the Spirit, like led by the Spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So he was led by the Spirit of God into the temple. At the same time, Mary and Joseph were in the temple offering these sacrifices. It's like, what a, what a coincidence. Like, 
How does that happen? Like, no, no, there are no coincidences with how God works in our lives. The Spirit's like, hey, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. He's led by the Spirit into the temple at the same time Jesus is there. Friends, we have to remember this is how our, our God works. Right? God's timing is perfect. In our, in our own lives, we need to remember that. Do we trust his timing or our own? Like there's often different things. I'm always like, okay, how's this going to work out? How, how are these things going to come together? And it's like, okay, I need to take a step back. Like, no, God has this. And he leads us by his spirit according to his perfect timing as he led Simeon. So he was waiting. He was waiting for the Messiah and then he sees the Messiah. So we have this witness who's waiting, and then as he sees Jesus, he, he points to Jesus, and he explains to him more. So in verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Interesting, I, it, I can't fully unpack this, but I guess the word for waiting is very similar to the word used for lifting up. It's not the normal Greek word that would, you would use for lifting up. It's actually a word that would help talk about like looking up to the hope of the Messiah to come. And, and, and so this word play is used by Luke to show as he lifts up Jesus, he's lifting up his hope of, of little Jesus. And I don't know, just think about this. I think culturally it was allowable maybe to like go and like, oh, cute little baby and grab him. And just imagine if anyone with young ch children, like someone just comes, some stranger just comes and grabs your kid, lifts him up. But I think culturally, it, it seemed like it would have been okay. So he grabs little Jesus, only 40 days old. Just a little baby. And look what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This is the Messiah. He knows. He's like, now I can die. God, you fulfilled your promise. And isn't that true for all who would, who would behold Jesus? This is my salvation. We can die in peace. Knowing Jesus Christ. He says, my eyes, in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. Just think about this. He was waiting. He was waiting. The waiting was over when he saw Jesus. That what he was wait, that's what he was waiting for. It was over. He's like, now I can go. And what does he say? He says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. I don't think we get how shocking of a statement this is that he puts the Gentiles first, then the Jewish people. Or even, I guess, in ancient literature, the fact that they'd even be grouped together is shocking. But let alone, even more importantly, he puts the Gentiles first as he's proclaiming it. And, and here, again, we're showing like Jesus. Okay, he didn't just come for Israel. There's this global reach. He's going to reach the nations. It's more than just the consolation for Israel. Friends, uh, as I'm going through this passage over and over again, 
There's so many allusions, of course, to the Old Testament, specifically Isaiah chapter 40 to verse 66, or chapter 66. There's so much here. We all have to constantly, by God's grace, be in the Old Testament. It'll help us understand the New Testament so much clearer. And if you go through those parts, Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 66, you're like, there's Jesus. There he is again. There he is again. You'll be blessed if you'll do that. I just want to point out one part of that. So again, he says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. In Isaiah 49, verse 6, I believe this is speaking about Jesus. God says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations, and my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And there was like way more references than that. I'm like, I'll just take one. That was being fulfilled, that he was proclaiming. Interesting, even in the, the New Testament, this language is used in Acts chapter 26, verses 22 to 23. Paul, the apostle Paul is on trial for preaching the gospel. He's in jail. He's awaiting to go to Rome. And in his defense, he says this, verses 22 to 23 of Acts 26. This day I've had the help that comes from God, so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. That's what Jesus came to, to, to proclaim, and then of course, that's Paul, after Jesus had died, buried, been in the grave, rose again. And now he's going, he's telling everyone, Jesus rose again from the grave to bring light to the Gentiles and to Israel. Amazing. Jesus came to be a light to us all. Again, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. So th- these things are being said about the child. And maybe there's that person who's sitting there like, what? What child is this? He's still questioning. He overhears it. And even interesting, that's the response of of Mary and Joseph. In verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Like they're, They're just sitting there taking it in. They're like, what? But think about, they already have this category that's overflowing. Right, like that. Mary's already like, okay, what Gabriel said, that he is going to be one from the, of the line of David. He's going to be on his father's throne. He's going to be the son of God. All these things, all these things that were Elizabeth said to Mary when she came in, like, oh, behold, the one who's carrying my Lord. She's, she's writing it down. What the shepherds came and said, like, yeah, this is the Messiah, the Lord who's born. And now as they enter into the temple 40 days later, someone else shows up and he's saying all these things and they're just, they're pondering, they're wondering, they're taking it in. So notice Simeon is pointing to Jesus and I just want to go further. Notice how he defines Jesus' ministry even more. In verse 34, and Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. It's amazing. This child is appointed or, or destined for the fall and rising of many. 
Jesus is the dividing line. He's assigned to be opposed. This is the first hint of Jesus' opposition that he'll face in his life in Luke's gospel. We know that many will oppose Jesus, his way of salvation. The Savior of the world was nailed to a cross. So this is spoken of already by Simeon. But you just think of how Jesus' ministry is of the rising of many and the fall of many. The gospel always has a divided response. When Jesus is the divider, every time you speak of Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, either some people will rise in faith and say, yes, I believe, or they'll fall to the side and say, no, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. But notice there's those two categories. There's not like a third one that says of like, no, there's the fence where people who are like, ah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of there, I'm kind of not. No, Jesus, Jesus divides. And if someone's like, yeah, I'm not there, it's like, no, no, so you, you don't believe. But maybe, maybe God's working in your heart. Maybe he's bringing you there. But eventually you got to say, yes, I do believe. But Jesus divides. Believe or reject, there's, there's no middle ground. Simeon continues, verse 35. And a sword, speaking just to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Speaking to Mary, seeing what her son would become, his ministry, she would believe, but then she would see his suffering, see him whipped in the back, see him put a a crown of thorns upon his head, see him nailed to a Roman cross. It'll pierce her own soul. Seeing what her firstborn would go through. And kind of Simeon, so he speaks to Mary, then he speaks more broadly again, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Friends, I want us to see this. Jesus exposes. He exposes our hearts. Just looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, Jesus in his ministry, he says this, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you have whispered in the private room shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus exposes. Luke says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Everything will be exposed to Jesus Christ. Again, what what child is this? In Simeon, we see this waiting fulfilled. Now turning to Anna, Verses 36 to 38, in Anna we see prayers answered. In Anna, again, I want you to see she is a witness. Like, is she reliable? Is she trustworthy? It says about her in verse 36 that there was a prophetess, Anna. She's a prophetess. She was speaking the word of God in the line of Miriam and Deborah, women of the past. Kind of that alone may be like, okay, we can trust what she says. It also says of her that she's the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She's an Israelite. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And your Bibles will probably have a footnote. There's a couple ways to take it. Either she was 
As she, before she was a virgin, maybe 12 or 14, she got married for seven years, then was widowed. 84 years later, she'd be like 105, 103. Or she's been widowed since the, the time that he, he demised, and now she's 84. Either way, she's, she's old. <laughs> that's, that's what this passage again is trying to tell us. But not, it's not in a negative way. It's saying like, so we can trust what she has to say. That's, that's actually what's being highlighted. Here's again another reliable witness. She's a prophetess. She's of Israel. She's older in age. And then also, what does it say about her life? What does she do? She did not depart from the temple, seeming like after her husband died, as she was a widow, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Like, look at her life. Isn't that amazing? She's actually, she's an example to follow. She is faithful and devout. It's not said about her, but it's shown in her actions. You, you know Anna? Oh, the one who's always in the temple, always worshiping, always praying, fasting and praying. This is the one who's going to speak. And I, I just want to show you that. So she's fasting. She's, she's saying no to food to seek God in prayer. Right? Like fasting, denying oneself physically to focus spiritually, be more dependent upon God. Think of, like fasting shows something isn't right. And then the action of like denying yourself food and seeking God in prayer shows that God is the only one who can fix it. That's what she's doing as she's seeking God. Anna is an example to other widows. So Paul, in 1 Timothy 5.4, speaking about like who's a widow, who's not a widow, he says this in 1 Timothy 5.4, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has her hope set on God, and continues in supplications, it's prayers. Supplications and prayers night and day. It's almost like a similar phrase. Remember Anna. So she's an example to other widows. She's an example to us all. Really, right? Like, as you read that, like, okay, like, I want to worship the Lord. I want to be about prayer and fasting night and day. And, of course, maybe we don't fast that often. I would challenge you in this week to come, can you pick one meal that you're going to fast from and pray? You're going to say no to food, and instead you're going to maybe go open up your Bible, maybe open up a psalm, some scripture, feast on the, the word, and pray to the Lord. And think like, well, what could you pray about? You could pray for people in your home who don't know Jesus or, or close loved ones, that they would come to know the Lord. Like, Lord, I'm putting away food. Only you can save, so I'm seeking you. Would you have mercy on them? You can pray for our church. You can pray for the persecuted church. I was just uh, reading something, listening to something yesterday uh, in Nigeria. Over December 23rd to 25th, there were these Muslim militants who came in and just slaughtered Christians. Over 200. The number will keep rising. That's what our brothers and sisters face. Not just there. There's other places. So you could like, hey, I'm going to put aside a meal and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for those around the world who love Jesus, that they would be able to stay faithful. So Anna is an example to us all. And I would just exhort you, let's follow her example. So she's a witness that's trusted and reliable. And she's waiting. Right? She's waiting by her constant 
prayers and fasting. Seeking God. Day in, day out. Waiting on God for his answer. And again, what was it? What's the change? It, it was Jesus' presence that stopped her waiting. I want you to see this again in, in verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, like, oh, she just, ha- just happened. There's, there's the, the child Jesus. She comes up at that very hour. Seemingly when she sees Jesus, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him, Jesus. She goes in the temple, she starts to give thanks to God and speaks of him. And who is she speaking to? So again, she's pointing to Jesus. She's a witness, she's waiting, and she points to Jesus. And who is she speaking to? Speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She, maybe, what does she say? We don't know, it's not recorded. She, maybe she, the one we have been waiting for is here. The one who will bring peace and salvation is here. Speaking to those anticipating, hoping, praying. He who has ears, let him hear. Not everyone hears. Right? You just think Anna's there. She starts giving thanks. She starts proclaiming to those who are waiting, would hear. Other people are like, ah, please quiet that lady down. It just strikes me as Anna's proclaiming that not everyone's hearing what she's saying. Those who are waiting, those who are anticipating, they're tuned in. They're like, oh, what? And what is she speaking to? Those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And we know that word, Redemption, we know this speaks of Jesus, ultimately of his sacrifice on the cross. What he will accomplish, how he will will pay for our sins, pay for our wrongdoings on himself on the cross. That everyone who would like confess their sins and say, yes, I believe in Jesus, they'd be forgiven, they'd be made new. It's all tied up in that word redemption, but it speaks of the redemption of Jerusalem. Is there still a hope for Israel, is there still a hope for Jerusalem? I say yes. There are promises made to Israel that have not yet been fulfilled. And one day they will be a blessing again to the nations. I believe God still has a plan for them. One day there will be a large number of Jewish people coming to faith in Christ. Where do I get that from? I get that from the Old Testament. just want to show you one place among many. Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 13.1. Zechariah 12.10 says this, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Zechariah 13.1. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and, unclean, and cleanliness. Believe that one day, there'll be this turning of Jewish people. It'll be through faith in Christ. That is our hope. So as we read about the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem, we know it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But one day, I think, the Jewish people will see how it is fulfilled in Christ. But the question is, do you believe the witnesses? These two witnesses, Simon 
and Anna, righteous, devout, aged, trusted people, waiting for God's hand to move. And they see Jesus, their waiting ceased. They thank God, they praised him. This is the one, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. In him redemption is found. Do you believe their testimony? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I'm, I'm actually really struck, and maybe that's why you've heard it over and over again, how both of them were waiting. The consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, and they were waiting, and when they saw Jesus, the waiting ended. When they saw Jesus, the waiting ceased, rejoicing began. I wonder if the person who I made up, or anyone who is there, like, what child is this? And just here's the witness of Simeon, and here's the witness of Anna, like we've heard today. That we would say, what child is this? He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. And belief in him changed everything for good. For some of you are hearing that today, and you're like, I don't know. Like, don't wait. Believe and rest in him. As one old believer, Augustine, said, you have made us God for yourself. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So you have to come to a point where you're saying, oh, this is who Jesus is. I will rest in him. For those of us who, who, who have believed, who've trusted, there's, there's no waiting. Now we walk with Christ. He is all we need for today and the days to come. I, I want you to just think about this for a second. I'm struck by like they're waiting. They're watching. And then Jesus is there. He's like, you can take me, Lord. And Anna comes in. She sees Jesus. She starts think, speaking about the redemption of Jerusalem. Because of Jesus, the waiting is over. It has ceased. That's, who we have in, that's what we have in Jesus Christ, our salvation. We have everything we need. And I don't, know, I don't know about you, but often I'm like, I'm always looking ahead to the weeks to come, months to come, whether it's an event, something I'm going to do, something I'm going to get. But I, as I'm reading this passage, I'm like, oh, in Jesus, I have, I have everything I need. There's no waiting. As we believe in him, we, we walk with him now. And ju just think about that. We have everything we need. In Christ, we have redemption. We have God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit in us, leading His perfect timing, guiding our steps, that we would be obedient to His leading. Reflecting on, on this past number of weeks, we, we have a loving church family. I'm like, man, I have everything I need. I'm not waiting for something else. We have what we need. Let us walk out our faith today. Faith in Jesus Christ. Just in finishing in 39 to 40, the story continues. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. I, don't, I love that. Just, they went to the no-name place. No one knows about. Couldn't even find. Nazareth. All these things said about this child. Again, humility. 
And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. We see for Jesus, his faithful parents, we see these faithful witnesses. Again, this is just the start of Luke's gospel. And, but I pray what we saw here this morning would continue to paint that picture of who Jesus is, how he is worthy of all of our worship, all of our devotion. If you want to bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord, I just want to uh, ask forgiveness that often I, I look ahead and I look past and in you, I, I actually have everything. I pray for myself. I pray for all of us, Lord. Give us a holy contentment. Comes by your spirit with eyes to behold Christ more clearly. Oh, Lord, give us fresh faith for today to live for you. As Anna was making you known, Lord, help us to make you known. Continue to grab hold of every aspect of our lives that we would worship in song, we would worship in actions. Lord, that you grab hold of our, our thoughts, our emotions, our dreams, our plans. Shape them for your glory, oh God, for you alone deserve it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.